I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go up unto the house of the Lord. To borrow some of the wording of Psalm 122, verse number 1, it is good for us to be able to come together on this Lord's Day morning, this first day of the week, and certainly as we appreciate God's blessings to allow us to so gather, we above all else would wish to honor His will and glorify Him by that which we do today. As was mentioned earlier, we're so thankful for the membership and the presence of each and every person, the membership and our visitors alike. I hope that the lesson today will be one that will be a powerful motivation for each of us to reflect on what's involved in faith that grows exceedingly. You may have noted a moment ago that phrase occurred in the lesson reading that took place from 2 Thessalonians 1. If you'd like, you might want to be turning back to that chapter and hold your Bible open to that place, and we will invest the time of our lesson today with some practical guidelines to help each of us in such a way that our faith might grow exceedingly. As we do that, this opening slide will be one that will not only serve as an introduction, but will also serve as a bit of motivation. Is faith important? Is it worth investing anything in it for it to grow? I believe all of us are well aware of the fact that so many times in life, we are aware that some particular entity, maybe a garden will be a good example. If there isn't some investment in a garden, it's not going to make anything. The weeds will soon overtake it. The other issues connected to it will certainly lead it to be very, very unproductive. Well, you could ask something similar about faith. Is it worthwhile investing in it growing? If so, why? And furthermore, what might those steps be? On that particular slide, some of the things about the Second Thessalonian letter I thought would be beneficial to at least place the matter of that text. And so it is, the Thessalonian church is one mentioned in Acts chapter 17. I say it that way for this reason. When Paul first came to that location, the church had not yet been planted there. And yet, as Paul preached, as the gospel was sent forth, there was certainly some resistance. But the text says that there were quite a few people who welcomed the message of truth, and they obeyed it, and the church was planted in that ancient place the city of Thessalonica. But somewhat later, we find two New Testament epistles written to that congregation, the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And you may notice in Second Thessalonians 2 that that church had received a letter from an imposter. It had received a letter from somebody claiming that the second coming of Christ was near at hand. Paul wrote to them and said, I never said that. I didn't write that letter that you have received. He wasn't talking about the letter of 1 Thessalonians, you see. Some other letter had been sent to them. But aren't we thankful, and so much so, that he could begin this letter by saying these words, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth although he had to make note of somebody else sent them a very troublesome letter, he began the letter by saying, I'm thankful for you. We are thankful for you, and among the reasons are these, your faith is growing abundantly, and your love for each other is doing the same. 
if it's possible that that congregation was such that their faith was growing exceedingly, is it possible today? Of course it is. What then would be some things you and I could do to encourage the personal growth of faith? Today, as we give some thought to it, let's thus take just a quick moment and highlight the, the great importance of it. Hold your finger here and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll only note two verses out of that chapter, but as we do so, it will provide again an element of incentive. Verse number 1 of that chapter reads, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He has given a bit of definition to the concept of faith, and as such, you'll notice, it allows one to see what the physical eye cannot. You can see beyond the realm of only what your physical eyes can see. You can have trust and confidence in the reality of a whole host of realities described in the Bible. But then in verse number 6 of that same chapter, these words are found. We are painted and given a very dramatic picture about faith. It says, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And then He says He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Are you and I a diligent seeker of God? It isn't enough just to believe He exists. And so you begin to see that faith will have a great deal connected to it. Is it worthwhile for it to grow? Absolutely. It says you can't please God without it. There will be no hope of going to heaven without it. What then should you and I do to encourage the enhancement of our faith? On that slide as it closes, I'm going to invite us to appreciate what did the Thessalonian church do. It begins with these observations. First, an emphasis on the following truth. For faith to grow, for faith to develop, for faith to move in the direction of any enhancement, there shall have to be the employment of the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 will at least begin that discussion, but we quickly will return to the Thessalonian letter in just a moment. Paul could write to the church at Rome and say, again, the discussion of faith. Faith grows like this. Faith finds the motivation for its movement like this. It relates to the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 continually reminds us of that truth in words like these. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Apart from the Word of God, there shall be no development of faith. Oh, one might develop confidence in men, what men might say, or what society might encourage, or what one's forebearers thought. But in terms of a personal development of faith, there won't be any. What saith the Scripture? What says the Word of God on this point, or that matter, or this subject, or that issue, or about the development in life? We've already seen then that the same person that wrote 2 Thessalonians said to the Roman church that faith will develop in direct measure in accordance to one's givenness to the Word of God. And therefore, some of these thoughts on this slide will quickly follow. How much do you and I read the Bible? Now, that's a personal question. I understand. But if I'm not reading much of the Bible, it won't be shocking if my faith never grows. In fact, it may even wane. It may even diminish. 
because the Word of God shall be the foundation, the source from which the springboard of faith shall appear. For that reason, notice some of these references. Jesus, wasn't it true that on a number of occasions, He asked His audience, He asked the people that were listening to Him about reading the Bible. We understand very well that, again, they didn't have a completed Bible in the form that we do, and yet for Him to ask that question of them, how much more pertinent would it be that He would ask it of you and me? All they had were some scrolls to which one would have access on rather rare occasions. We have a full copy of it, perhaps dozens of them, and it's so easily accessible. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and following, He asked those of that day, Have you not read? In Matthew 19, verse 4, have you not read? In Matthew chapter 26 and 7, have you not read? They came and asked Him questions, and He replied with a question. God's Word gives you the answer to this. Have you not read it? Don't you know? One of them is so very telling, isn't it? That text in Matthew 19. They came to the Lord and asked Him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Without hesitation, He said, Have you not read? He took them back to the scene of Genesis 2 and said, There's your answer. It was in the Bible all along. Isn't that true with regard to so many of the ills and the moral difficulties that our nation and our world faces? The answer is right here. But the problem, people don't read the Bible. Oh, they'll read a newspaper. They'll read Facebook. They'll read the Internet. They'll read some other particular issues that men may have written, but they don't read the Bible. And there's our problem. If we could look to this book for the answers, not only could we fix the issues of our life, but we could fix the problems of a country or anywhere else. Paul said, your faith is going to grow directly in connection to the Bible. And so the next point on that slide is this one. What about those passages that encourage us to reflect upon the Word of God? That is to say, to give some attention in meditation to that which it contains. So often in both Old and New Testament, we are given encouragement along that line, aren't we? For instance, in the Psalms, Psalm 1 verse 2, References are given to a blessed man. So who is this blessed man? That is to say, who is this man that is lifted in commendation by the very statement of the Word of God? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So here's someone who doesn't walk the pathway of sin. He doesn't have as his association the best friends in life, those given to a life of sin. He doesn't endorse it. He doesn't sit down with it. He doesn't walk with it. He doesn't talk to it. But what does he do? Verse 2. He meditates day and night on this. Now that doesn't mean one spends 24 hours a day, seven days a week with an open Bible sitting in front of it. We understand that's not what he meant. But he meant a lifestyle such that one not only does read it when appropriate, but you give a life connected to what you just read. You abhor that which God abhors. You endorse what He endorses. You condemn what He condemns, but you love what He loves. That's the kind of life we strive to live, isn't it? 
Because we know that's not only the life that's blessed here, it'll be the one that's blessed long after this life is over. This connection to the Word of God takes us to Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in all the Bible. 176 verses in that chapter. And you might find it intriguing that of the 176 of them, 172 of them talk about the Bible. I'm sure we all could find that remarkable. That many verses in one chapter who extol God's law, God's precepts, God's judgments, the various issues connected to His Word, and they're all so wonderfully expressed. To select just a few of them, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Verse 140, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Verses 15 and 16, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself also in thy word. I will not forget thy law. Verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If we want to know how to keep sin at bay, it will start with implanting the word of God in our heart and in our life, won't it? No wonder then as one gives thought to how, do, how does my faith grow? Could we start by saying there is no magical pill for it. It's not as if one can take some matter that will allow me in 30 seconds a day to have a growing faith. It's going to take more than that. It'll take some time devoted to the things we study today including the Word of God. And so next on that slide, how is the Word of God placed in my life? Do I revere it? Do I honor it? Do I respect it? Or do I basically treat it about like a newspaper? I read it on some occasion as a matter of trivia or as a matter of somewhat insignificant import. Oh, it should mean more to us than that, shouldn't it? Because isn't it true this is the book that's going to be opened at the Day of Judgment? Jesus said it like this in John twelve forty eight. As he spoke about the nature of the Word of God, he highlighted this rather interesting truth. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. How will it be for you and me? When on that day the judge sits there with this book open and compares my life to it, will it be favorable? And if it's not, it's going to be too late to do anything about it then. But oh, how it should be our heart's desire that it shall be in such a way the Master can say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In the famous words, you see, of Matthew 25, verse 23. The Word of God. Therefore, as you look near the bottom of that slide, as far as some practicalities, we know that these same Thessalonians were described in Acts 17.11. It says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. One of the things that each of us then can appreciate is that the Bereans were even more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched this book daily to find out if what the preacher was saying was true. Don't you just take whatever I say, please, and let that be the same for any other man that may stand in this pulpit. Because all that matters is what this book says. 
And so, check out what I say. Check those verses out. See if they teach the, th the things that we have discussed. But above all else, may we appreciate that let the Word of God be true and let every man be a liar. In the words of Romans 3 verse 4. Some questions then for me to ask of myself as well as you. Do I attend the Bible studies as I should? If the Word of God's that important, I ought to be there to learn more about what God would say for me and teach me and instruct me. That's an easy thing quite often for us to appreciate, to invest that little bit of time each week as one means of helping me to grow my faith. Not only that, what about the other issues connected to my personal development in faith? Each day do we have the opportunity and do we make use of that to give some appreciation to the Bible? Oh, I hope that we do. As far as closing this point, what about then looking at what he said about the Thessalonians? I promised you that the Word of God was there. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. He says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, the Thessalonians, again, lived at a time when the forces of the Roman Empire in so many ways were directed against the development of their faith. And yet to them, he said, you hold fast. You grasp the truth found in the Word and don't let it go. Do not let it go. You cling to it. May I say, that's great advice for us, isn't it? Let the Word of God be such that it's the thing to which we cling. Not our emotions, not our feelings, not other desires of the frame of our mind, but again, the Word of God. But in addition to the Word of God, what else might be a motivating factor in the growth of our faith? Point number two, prayer. And two, we shall find the Thessalonians were reminded of this element. But isn't it true that it'll be a vibrant and vital matter for you and me as well? Let's begin it like this. Do you recall that scene in Luke 17 when the apostles asked Jesus this, Lord, increase our faith. They wanted an increased faith. They were interested in an increased faith. May I invite us to remember what had just happened that motivated them to ask that question? Might we be impressed with this? They had just seen Jesus praying. They witnessed the prayer of the Master. Now what it was about that prayer, the text doesn't say. Were they impressed with His confidence in prayer? Were they impressed with His assurance in prayer? Were they impressed with the ease with which He addressed His Father? Maybe all of the above. But the point might then be, if our faith is strong we will be on pretty good talking conditions with God. We'll be pretty good at thus having conference and conversation with Him. Don't you find it intriguing that He speaks to us through the Word? We speak to Him through prayer. There is a dialogue, if you will, that takes place. And as that dialogue develops, look at how this slide presents it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and following. Jesus, you might recall in the Sermon on the Mount, he thus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. 
For he that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh the door shall be opened. Sometimes we're knocking on the wrong doors. Sometimes there's doors to open to us that it'd be far better for eternity's sake if it were never opened. Because you see, we're knocking on doors that lead to ungodliness. You see, Jesus wasn't teaching there we can knock on just any door we want. It needs to be the door consistent with the will of God, as He explained in the verses that followed. If you and I knock on the right doors, we're promised that that door will be opened, you see. Do we want a greater faith? May we be knocking on that door. Aren't we taught in James chapter 1, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. May I ask, and may I suggest, if we want an increased faith, let's be praying about it. God, please help me to make those decisions and to pursue those actions in life that will lead to a growth in my faith. And we're promised that He will, in fact, give His attention to a question like that. Do you and I want an increased faith? Surely prayer will be a vibrant and important part of that. In 1 John 3, 22, the inspired writer John pointed out that those who thus have given their life in obedience to the Lord are such that they can ask anything of God and He'll grant it. Now that's an incredible promise. It's a remarkable thing to notice. His blessing showered upon His faithful children. When you and I then in earnestness and in faith pray for an increase of that faith, shouldn't we anticipate that God will open the doors of heaven toward that direction? The increase of our faith seen in that regard points out the importance of the will of God, doesn't it? to make sure we learn to ask according to His will. Don't you think that that increase of faith is seen so beautifully in the prayer of Jesus as uttered in Matthew chapter 26? The scene has been one so often filling our mind. Jesus was a few hours from crucifixion. He took all of the apostles to a place right it seems near the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane. But then He took three Peter, James, and John, and said, You come with me a little bit further. They went a little further, and he said, You wait here while I go pray. And the text says he went about a stone's throw from them. So you can imagine probably about how far that was. It wasn't too far. I suspect they could easily hear what Jesus was saying. And yet they fell asleep the greatest event in the history of the world about to take place, and they were asleep. Talk about being blinded to the moment. Can't you and I find ourselves in that position sometimes? Great things taking place, perhaps for our own spiritual development, and we're asleep. We're asleep, spiritually. You see, the time was going to come that Jesus returned to them the third time and said, Sleep on now. The time's at hand. And about that time, Judas came with his band of soldiers, planted the betrayal kiss on Jesus. They arrested their master, and a few hours later, he was crucified. And they needed all the strength they could muster. And they'd been asleep. It was time for prayer. May I suggest time for us to pray, too, that our faith might be stronger, that our faith might grow and develop. As you close that slide with me, wasn't it true that 
Paul so often urged us to pray along these matters. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Back to the Thessalonian church. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of God might have free course and be glorified even as it is in you. Paul begged their prayers on his behalf that the Word of God might be taught and be expressed freely and that people would be blessed by it. There hasn't been much changed about that today, has there? So far, we've looked at prayer and we've given consideration to a growing faith connected to the Bible. What about number three? You may have noticed in the very passage we read, at least in its connection to the verses after it, there's something to be noted for this. So allow me to revisit with you 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. It is no revelation to say that life has its problems. We all could give a dissertation on that. We know it's true. Problems connected to work, problems connected to health, problems connected to the family, problems connected to many other realities. There is no question about that. And sometimes among that list of problems are what he just called persecutions and tribulations. Some things are more troublesome than others. And when it comes to faith, oh, how they weigh upon us. Did you notice what Paul said? In the midst of these things, your faith is growing exceedingly. May I say, troubles will not diminish faith. They'll only give it reason to grow. It's almost as if that's the fertilizer of a growing faith. But may I say, in light of it, we have to have the proper mindset for it. It's easy, you see, in the midst of troubles to say, Woe is me, and God, why'd you let this happen to me? That's the wrong way to look at it. Almost all the time, my problems are due to my foolish choices. I approach something the way I shouldn't have, and if I'd have been a better student of the Bible, I'd have known better. And the issues that have come my way in almost all cases are because of choices that I made. We studied in the Bible class this morning about one of the words that Saul used in 1 Samuel 26, 21. He had the courage and the confession to say to David, I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. Nobody made me do it. Nobody compelled me to do it. I did it by my choice. And so today, isn't it true that there are all kinds of choices set before us? Will I drink this beer or not? If I do, I'm sinning. But I made the choice. If I upset the services, I'm sinning, but who made me do it? It was my choice. If I choose to behave in certain ways, isn't it true? I'm the one making the choice. Perhaps in that connection, what about then the perseverance to face even those moments of challenge, those issues that can be very momentous? Paul said this can lead to a growth of faith, can't it? When I find that in this element of persecution, I am able to find the strength and emerge from it victorious, then I realize, just as Paul did with the thorn in the flesh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Where do you and I find our strength? Do I try to find it myself? What I happen to know? 
what I happen to be able to do physically? If so, may I assure you, the devil will find an avenue of temptation that will crush that attribute. He'll do it every time. But if your reliance is upon the Word of God, he cannot defeat that he never has been able to. When the Lord Himself was tempted three times, He said it's written, Matthew chapter 4. Three times He approached the devil with what the devil could not defeat. May you and I in wisdom do the same. As far as that element in persecution, note with me the wording of Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 3 of that chapter, Paul had these words to say. Again, notice the connection to faith. Romans chapter 3, verse number 5. I'm sorry, Romans 5, verse 3. It says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, but the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He makes a reference to strength connected to what our capability is. No doubt related, of course, to faith. It says we didn't have any. Jesus died for us anyway. But prior to that, isn't it interesting that he noted in verses 3 to 5 that hope and approvedness and, in fact, the matter of patience all comes through tribulation. May you and I then have the attribute of approaching it in the way that's dutiful and good. And as we close that slide, but one more. What else will encourage us in our growth in faith besides prayer and the Bible and besides these matters of perseverance? But may I offer one more that he mentioned to the Thessalonians as well. One could have called it activity. I chose the word work because that's the one he used. Let's revisit chapter 1. Verse number 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that your God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a rather interesting thing, isn't it, that Paul used by inspiration this phrase, work of faith. May I suggest that is a fourth avenue that will greatly encourage the development of your faith and mine. What about the work of my life, the work of faith? And I don't mean the job, the occupation we may happen to, to, to in fact have. I mean the ongoing usage of the c- capacities we've got in the interest of of service to God, the work of faith. I've developed it like this. As that work of faith is here in mention, doesn't it connect very strongly to other verses such as these? James two seventeen and following. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Faith without works is a, is a dead thing. It's a lifeless thing. And so the faith that you and I have, does it show in works that are ongoing? Does it show, you see, in the particulars of what I choose to do or choose not to do? It should. It's certainly hypocritical to make the claim on Sunday of this matter in Christianity, but then to not so live on Monday 
or Tuesday or the other days of the week. And yet Paul says your work of faith is such that this message is sounded throughout the world, 1 Thessalonians 1.8. People all over were aware of what this Thessalonian church lived and what they did. May that be true of the Pippin congregation too. And it'll be true in that way if it's true of each of us. About the middle of that slide, you'll note this. The works of the church are, of course, described in a variety of ways in the New Testament. Are you and I busy in those things? Be it evangelism, be it benevolence, be it edification, are we busy in various ways connected to them? Someone, I suppose, has said it like this, if I've invested my life in ways like this, I won't have time to be invested in those things that would lead to a diminishing of my faith. I'll be invested in those things that will lead to an increase of my faith. That's something each of us then can ask of ourselves. As we close that particular slide, we've looked at four elements Paul did mention in connection to that church then. That each of them could thus say, this can help my faith grow and do so exceedingly. May I suggest they'll do so for us too. Where does your faith stand? 1 Corinthians 2.5 says, It should not stand in the wisdom of men. Thus, shouldn't stand on what dad or mom may have believed, what granddad or grandmother may have believed, and it shouldn't stand on what my friends or neighbors may think or say. Faith has got to stand just like we begin the lesson today on the Word of God. Does your faith stand there today? That Word of God allows us to conclude this lesson like this. We've looked at these elements. If we today could be of assistance in someone in obeying the gospel, what a wonderful day that could in fact be. Your name could be written in the Lamb's Book of Life before you exit this building. Right now is a person covered in sin and all the blackness that goes with it. Don't you want to have that washed away in baptism? You come out of, up out of that watery grave of baptism, pure and clean and white. You come up, you see, with no sin, no defilement, nothing to separate you from God. All the mistakes, the poor judgments, the errors of life are washed away in the blood of Christ. If there's ever a way to think about a do-over, surely that's it. And so if you've never become a Christian, let it be done today. Believe in the Lord, won't you? Repent of your sins and confess His name and be baptized. We'd be honored to assist you in the ways that we can. If you, however, have known the walk of faith and you've known the matters of blessing that connected to it, you knew that life of promise and all the wonders that went with it. But quite frankly, at this point, it's a distant memory at best. You have come to live in a way to where others... Know very well that your life is not as it ought to be, and you know it too. You realize today there's no one here looking down upon you. Everyone, of course, can make poor choices. But aren't we thankful God is a God of second chances? He will welcome you back to the fold. He will wash those sins away one more time in the blood of Christ reinstate you to a position of honor and fidelity and faithfulness, and will lead you right on to heaven if you'll continue faithfully till death, Revelation 2.10. Today, just let it be known, we too would wish to help in that way. If you will acknowledge those sins by way of confession, 
and repent of them. That is, change your mind concerning them and make an attempt to do them no more. Then that forgiveness will certainly be showered upon you. We'd be happy to pray to God on that behalf. And oh, what a glorious day for you it'd be. It could be someone is facing particular strengths of temptations. If we could pray for you, remember the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We'd be happy to pray for your sustenance, your strength, your maintenance. If we could do that too, if any of these are the need of your life, won't you come? All together we stand and sing.